We're just rejoicing and looking tonight at Exodus chapter 33 and 34. Tonight we're looking at this just powerful passage of Scripture, and the message I've entitled is Covered by the Lord. And uh, if you remember the words that we just sang a few minutes ago, He hideth my soul, that wonderful hymn, the words to that chorus came right out of the passage that we're looking at tonight. So if you will, if you have an outline handy, we'll go through that in just a moment. But uh, look with me now at verse 17 of Exodus chapter 33. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Isn't that a great thing for, for a man to hear from the Lord, a man or a woman or anybody? I know you by name. And he said, please... Show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not not be seen. Lord, thank you. Uh, For your word, it's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, tonight, as we've opened your word, it is also a mirror. We look into your word, Lord, and we see our own hearts. We see, Lord, what our needs are. And we ask you, dear God, to speak to each and every heart tonight. I pray you'll speak through me, Lord, to help me to uh, say what you'd have me to say. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. Anoint the teaching and preaching of your word tonight. And we commit all this to you in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Now then, let me ask you to look back up to verse 14 just a moment. We started in verse 17, but I want you to look up at verse 14, because in verse 17, God had said, I will do this thing for you. What is it that he is doing for Moses? Look at verse 14. And he said, this is God and Moses in prayer time together. He said, this is God speaking to Moses. Now my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, the word you, the second word you, in verse 14, is in the singular. In other words, God is saying to Moses, I'll be with you, and I'll give you rest. But the people that you are with and who are with you, I am not going to be with them, Because if I'm with them, I could wipe them out because of their sin. But Moses would not be stopped from continuing to pray and ask God not only to be with him, but also to be with all of them. And so he said, uh, Moses continued in verse 15, he said to them, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. So Moses is taking the focus off of himself and putting it, back on with the people. And so 
He says then in verse 16, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. And so, verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. What? I will not only be with you, Moses, I will be with the people. I will be with all of the Israelites, and I will go before them, and we'll see in a minute here what he's going to do for them. And so when Moses hears that God is going to answer that prayer, now he moves on to the next part of this prayer, verse 18, and he said, please show me your glory. Show me the essence of who you are. I want to know you. Have you had that desire in your heart to really know God? Well, if you're a Christian, you do know him, but every Christian, I think, has has a burning desire in their heart or ought to to continue to get to know the Lord better and better. I think of Philippians chapter 3, uh, when I think of this, because the Apostle Paul, who wrote that wonderful letter uh, to the church at Philippi, he wrote in that uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him. Now, this was written by a man who was an apostle. He had been saved for about 30 years, and yet his desire was continue was to continue to know the Lord. So we don't ever get to the point where we exhaust the knowledge of God. There's always more of Him to learn. There's always more of Him to know. There's always more of God that we can experience. And that is the cry of the Apostle Paul. It ought to be the cry of every child of God. Don't be satisfied with your testimony being, I got saved when I was a kid and I've been walking with the Lord ever since. I hope that is your testimony. It's wonderful. But if you got saved last week and you're 80 years old, that's great too. Just be sure you get saved at some point in your life. But Don't give up on getting to know the Lord more intimately, more fully, more deeply. And this is what God here is saying, uh, that rather Moses is saying to the Lord, please show me your glory. I really, Lord, want to get to know you better. Look how God answered him in verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, who have compassion, on whom I have compassion, But he said, you cannot see my face. In other words, you cannot see my essence. You cannot see the depth of who God is, for no man shall see me and live. To see God in our sinful state, even though we are saved, it would bring death to us. Now, we'll see God fully one day, But it will be when we've said goodbye to all this sinful world and the sinful inclinations and the sin nature that we still have. Because the Bible says uh, that in 1 John chapter 2 that we will see him as he is and we will be like him. It doesn't mean we're going to be gods or God, but it does mean we're going to be like him in, uh, in who he is more and more than we are now. Now, the important number one in your outline, I don't think I gave you this. Number one, you are covered by his hand. You are covered by his hand. Look with me again there at verse 21. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. Moses was already near the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Moses, here's a place by me. So come over here and stand near me. You shall stand on the rock. And it shall be while my glory passes by. Moses' prayer was, Lord, show me your glory. While my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock 
and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses, I'm going to let you see enough of me that you can stay alive, but you will not see my face. If you did, you would not be able to continue to live. Have you thought about the hand of God? Let me get you to think with me a little bit about God's hand, what his hand means to us, what God's hand uh, signifies to us. In the Old Testament, we find these verses in different places in the Word of God. Your right hand upholds me. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. And the Bible says, the Lord brought us from Egypt with his mighty hand. And think about the hands of Jesus, the praying hands, the touching hands, the healing hand, the loving hand, the nail-scarred hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. That hand is reaching down to you. That hand is reaching down to me. That hand is reaching down to us drawing us to himself, drawing us into a deeper walk with himself, drawing us into a love relationship with him. Those hands, those wonderful, beautiful hands of Jesus are drawing you to himself tonight. So you are covered by his hand. Dear brother, could you turn off your phone or silence it or something for me? Okay, I I would appreciate that. Thank you. All right, so you are covered by his hand. Secondly, you're also covered by his name. You're covered by his name. Look with me now, starting at chapter 34, reading at uh, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain." And no man shall come up with you, and no man shall be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And so, even as the Lord had, had uh, promised what he would do for Moses, that he would put him on that rock, He would put him in the cleft of the rock and cover him with his hand. Now we read exactly what happened when that experience transpired. So what does the Lord tell Moses to do? In the first part of chapter 34, 
is, I think, a wonderful model for a person to have a quiet time, a devotional time with the Lord every day. Notice what God says for Moses to do. He says, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and that's going to stand for the Word of God because God is going to write the Ten Commandments on those two stones like he had the other stones that Moses had broken. Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain and let no one come with you. So see what the pattern is? You see what the picture here is of a man who is told by God to get up early in the morning, take your tablets with you, take your word with you, take your Bible with you, and go up on this mountain, that is, go to a place where there's no other human beings, and be ready in the morning and come up there. Don't let anybody else come with you. Come up there, be by yourself, because you and I are going to do business. Now, that's basically what a quiet time is. It is when you get up early in the morning, when you take your Bible, you get alone with God somewhere in your house or out in your yard or in your garden or wherever you want to be, You and God just get alone with His Word. You read His Word. You listen to His Word. You talk to Him in prayer. You fellowship with Him. You commune with Him. That is basically what a devotional quiet time is. And I hope that all of you are having your quiet time every day. If not, would you begin it? It, it, Your your Christian life will begin to grow exponentially if you will commit to having a quiet time with the Lord every day. But really here, let's continue on now. Verse 4 says, So he cut the tablets of stone like the first ones. Moses rose early in the morning, went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So Moses' prayer was, show me your glory. What happens when God answers that prayer? God comes there near Moses puts his hand over him, I'm sure doesn't say it in these verses, but he said that's what he would do up in chapter 33. The Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So so for the Lord to show Moses his glory meant that he would proclaim his name to him and reveal more of his character to Moses. And he said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord God. Now, anytime you see the, the word Lord in all capital letters in the Old Testament, that is the proper name of God, it is the name Jehovah or Yahweh. It is the name that God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, but here he gives a fuller explanation of who he is. So he is the Lord. He is the self-existent one who reveals himself. That's what the name really means. He is self-existent. He doesn't need anything or anyone. He is self-existent, but he has chosen to reveal himself. Do you realize that if God had not chosen to reveal himself, none of us would know him? We, We could look up into the heavens and see that there's a God. He revealed himself in the heavens. He reveals himself through nature. It's correct to say God reveals himself through nature. It's not correct to say that nature reveals God. That would be putting nature as stronger than God. God is the one who reveals himself through nature. We would know something about God if all we had was nature, that he is the God of power. Uh, uh, The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 tells us this. He's the God of power. You see the planets and the stars and, and the earth is 
rotating around the sun, though for a long time people who didn't read their Bible didn't know that they thought the sun rotated around the earth and the earth was the center of the universe. Uh, But the Bible tells us different from that. But anyway, uh, the the, uh, heavens declare the glory of God, it says in Psalm 19, and the earth uh, brings forth the fullness of God's uh, revealing himself through nature. But God revealed himself in other ways as well, through the prophets as he gave them dreams and uh, prophecies and visions. But in these last days, Hebrews says, he has revealed himself most clearly, most fully through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know him because he has revealed himself to us. He is revealing more of himself here to Moses on Mount Sinai. And who does he say he is? He says, the Lord He's proclaiming his name, the Lord, the Lord God. And the the word God there is the word Elohim, which means creator God, uh, merciful and gracious. So here's the first characteristic he gives us. Two words there together, merciful and gracious. It's a wonderful Hebrew word which describes the loving kindness of God. Long-suffering, that is, he is patient with people. And aren't we glad for that? Aren't you glad God's patient with you, long-suffering with you, Uh, abounding in goodness and truth? And those things need to be balanced. And God, of course, is perfectly balanced. He is abounding in goodness. He is abounding in truth. So we have the first thing, mercy and and, uh, graciousness. Secondly, long-suffering. Third, abounding in goodness and truth. And those are going together. And then the uh, fourth thing here is keeping mercy for thousands. Uh, and that really goes along with merciful and gracious, you have forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And aren't we grateful that God forgives sin? Again, if he didn't, we'd all be in a mess, wouldn't we? We'd be like Isaiah, who said in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. All of us are guilty like Isaiah knew he was guilty when he had that vision and that encounter with the Lord. If it were not for the forgiveness of God, we would all be undone just like Isaiah knew that he was. But God forgives iniquity and transgression, but by no means clearing the guilty. That is, those who do not repent, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. You see, we're all guilty, but we can receive the forgiveness of God by repenting of our sin. But though a person repents, there are uh, often consequences that continue to go on generation after generation. But here, God is revealing himself to Moses. And this was such a powerful revelation that it is repeated several times in the Old Testament. In fact, Seven more times in the Old Testament, you'll find this description of God, either uh, the full description here or in part, in seven other places in the Old Testament. This was a hallmark of uh, the ancient Hebrew people, of the Jewish people, to realize who God truly is. He revealed himself, and, and, and it was seen again in Numbers, in, uh, in Nehemiah, three times in Psalms, in Joel, in Jonah, all throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, God wanted his people to know him. He wanted them to know that he is the God. He will have compassion on him. He has compassion. 
and uh, he will judge whom he judges. He'll be gracious upon whom he will be gracious. But we're so grateful that he is a God of compassion, a God uh, who is uh, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And then look with me at what Moses did when he realized what God had done in revealing more of himself to Moses. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. When you receive from the Word of God, and when I receive from the Word of God, that ought to be our response as well. We ought to bow our heads. We ought to recognize the wonder that the holy, loving, infinite, all-powerful God of heaven would have anything to do with us. And yet even more than that, he is teaching us about himself. He wants us to know him. And in doing so, what is the appropriate response for every child of God when God speaks to our hearts? It is to bow our heads. It is to worship. It is to follow him with all of our hearts. And then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we're stiff-necked people. And so we see here that uh, as a follower of Jesus, you are covered by his hand. You are covered by his name because he has given us his name. Thirdly, you are covered by his covenant. You're covered by his covenant, which is just another way of saying you're covered by his blood because the covenant that God instituted here in the Old Testament with Moses was done with blood, that is, the blood of a sacrificial innocent animal. And the new covenant was also established by blood, the blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 10 through 12, and we'll see here. And he said, God is speaking, Now behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. The word marvels there means marvelous or wonderful works. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work for, uh, of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Okay, let's take a moment and look at these verses. So God says, okay, Moses, I'm answering your prayer. I will go with you, not only you, but with uh, the people, the children of Israel as well. And I've done marvelous works among you already, but I'm going to do more of them and it is an awesome thing that I will do with you, he says at the end of verse 10. Here's what I'm going to do to you or for you in the future. And he says already, look at verse 11, I am. This is what he's already doing for them. I am driving out from before you all of these ites who live in Canaan. Amorites, Canaanites, termites, and all the rest of them. God is going to drive out of the land of Canaan so that his descendants so that his children 
will be able to take up residence there in the promised land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he gives this warning to them in verse 12, Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. In other words, I'm making a covenant with you, and that's the only one you need. Beware of making a covenant with the people who live in the land of Canaan because they are idolaters. They do not walk with the Lord. They do not know me, God is saying. So do not make any agreements with them. I'm driving them out. They are, they are to be seen as your enemies. They had their opportunity to repent. God gave them 400 years. He said to, to Abraham, I'm going to wait until the sin of the Canaanites is fulfilled, is full. He gave them 400 years while the children of Israel were in Egypt to repent. They did not repent. And so 40 years from now, it's going to be because they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, God is going to be driving them out and giving that land to the descendants of uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Israel. So listen, uh, God is saying here, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. God continues to want to have a unique relationship with his children. He does not want to share the affection and love that we have for him with anyone else. That's why God says that he's a jealous God. God is holy. God is righteous, and He deserves our full love, our full attention, uh, and our full affection. That's why He can say that I, I who have loved you perfectly deserve to have your love for me. He told Moses to tell the people, do not get into any kind of agreement or covenant with the people who live in the land of promise, because if they do, it will be a stumbling block from them and, uh, for them, and they will suffer the consequences because of it. Now, he continues with this over uh, later in chapter 34. So look at ver chapters 27 and 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So this is just the way God is um, concluding here about this covenant that he is renewing with them. Write these words, I have made a covenant with you and Israel. So Moses stayed there on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, just as he had done before. Uh, and he came down and the people were sinning, so he broke the tablets because the people had broken the commandments. And now he's received these commandments again on the new tablets uh, that uh, he uh, fashioned and took up onto the mountain with him. And so here God is renewing the covenant. The covenant that God made with the Israelites was never intended to be permanent. It was a temporary covenant. Uh, it was a covenant that was based on law. It was a covenant that was based on the people's ability to obey the terms of the covenant. And 
they were not able to do so. They continually broke the Ten Commandments and every other commandment that God gave them. God judged them. Eventually, the northern tribes were carried off by the Assyrians and the southern tribes. Uh, the southern kingdom of uh, Judah was carried off into Babylonian exile for 70 years. God said to them, I'm making this covenant with you, but the covenant was based on law, and the law is good. It's not that there's anything wrong with the law. There was nothing wrong with the covenant. It was just not meant to be permanent. The New Testament is very clear about that, and we'll get to that eventually. But uh, the covenant was temporary. It was fading based on law and the people's ability to keep the law. Uh, on the contrast to that, the new covenant is based on grace, and it is based on faith, trusting the Lord. So then, now let me get to the last point here. And uh, <laughs> what time is it, baby? 7.16? about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> okay. I forgot my watch tonight, so she's my timekeeper. And because uh, there's a clock up there in the back, but it's dark back there, and I can't tell. So uh, anyway, just so you know what's going on up here between Becky and me. All right, now let's look quick at the last one because next week we're going to really focus on uh, this truth about the glory. But I want you to look here, and I want to read these verses with you. Now it was so, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And <clears throat> he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put on the veil on his face again, until he went in to speak with him. Point number four in your outline is, you are also covered by his glory. You're covered by his hand, by his name, by his covenant, and by his glory. Moses came down from the mountain. His face was shining. He didn't realize it. It had not done that. The first time he came down, after being with God for 40 days and 40 nights, but it is this time. He didn't realize that the people got scared because they had not seen Moses' face look like this ever. So they did not want to approach him because they didn't know what to expect. He says to them, come on, it's okay, don't be afraid. He spoke to them and then after he spoke to them, he would put the veil back on his face. So when he was with the people, he would veil his face. 
Then when he would go back to the tent of meeting and meet with the Lord, he would remove the veil from his face so that he and the Lord could have that face-to-face relationship and conversation. His face would glow again. He would leave the tent. He would go out among the people. He would talk to them. His face would be shining. He would speak to them what the Lord had told him to, uh, to uh, say to them. And then he would put the mask back on again, the veil. Why would he do that? Well, the New Testament tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that Moses put the veil on because the glory that was on his face was fading. And therefore, he covered his face so that the people would not see that the glory was fading. That was a picture of the Old Testament covenant. It was given in glory. And it is a wonderful and good covenant. And it's full of glory. But the glory faded. Unlike the glory of the new covenant. And we'll look at that more in detail next week. But the glory of the new covenant does not fade. Where do you find the glory in the new covenant? I am so glad you asked that question. And if you'll come back next week, I will give you the answer.